I've been looking forward to this, a chance to talk with Peter Grandich again. Now, he's the author of the book, Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid. Why? Because Wall Street called him a whiz kid, but it's a great book. Wonderful background for anyone approaching the investment markets. Peter shares the lessons he's learned uh, over a lifetime of investing, and I'm glad he joins me now. Peter, nice to see you and nice to have you with us. Well, Mike, as one of the three best financial journalists I've ever had the pleasure to speak to, the pleasure is truly all mine. Well, it's very kind. Let me just start with this, you know, Barbara Walters' big question. What, you know, you follow every aspect of the market, so, you know, the environment that we're working in. What, what jumps out when I say what concerns you most these days? I think still the, comple- the complacency here in the U.S. at least, it's probably somewhat considerable same in Canada, of how we've allowed both a debt and retirement crisis to get completely out of hand. We passed that fail safe, if you remember the old movie, The Point of No Return, and there's still a laxative, almost careless feeling uh, that it's not gonna somehow impact us or our family, which is nothing further from the truth. And just that we just had a two months or three months ago, this whole talk about the budget again and, and raising the deficit spending. And within weeks, we've raised it almost another trillion dollars. Mike, you were around as long as I have. I never imagined in my 40th year, we use a T to describe anything, let alone debt. And now we include them in dozens in terms of our debt. The CBO calling for $50 trillion in hard debt in less than 10 years here in the U.S. It's unfantable and it's unmanageable. Yeah, and as you say, we've seen this around the world, certainly in Canada too. Uh, but the un- unfunded pension liabilities is something that never or rarely makes the radar. And let me just add one more thing: is because you could also have it at the state, municipal, you know. And of course, we're talking federally here for a second. But uh, you know, if I, <laughs> my joke about Illinois is why don't why don't they just tell us now they're not paying their pensions? You know, I mean. It's a very difficult situation, especially when you're a subnational, because you can't just print up the money. I think that's my suspect. That's what they'll do at the federal level. But and, at the and state and municipal, you can't just print it up. And Mike, the thing that intertwines into both of them with two thirds of Americans working paycheck to paycheck, they can neither save for retirement or contribute to any paying down of that debt. They're barely staying afloat themselves. It's just a and, and like you said, it's, it, it's, it's an enormous issue which gets almost no attention. And realistically, the moment it does, you, you're called a conspiracy or, you know, a hate monger or whatever names they're tying to these days. But it truly is a situation of all situations that has never been faced anything like that from an economic, social and political standpoint. Well, we had a survey, MNT survey and an Ipsos uh, survey this past week basically saying, look, half of Canadians are scared to death right now about their debt load, about their cost of living. But here's a little sidelight of that. Obviously, they're not saving for retirement if that's the case, you know, right now. And I mean, that's the other you know, thing of inflation. Yeah, I pay more at the grocery store, a lot more and many other places, but I'm not having money left over to put away for my own retirement. Michael, the biggest fear among seniors in the United States now is not dying. It's running out of money. Mm. That shows up more percentage in a poll than passing away. And that that is when two-fifths of boomers have nothing saved. It, it is just a, it, it, it's mind-boggling that Wall Street will have folks come on and talk about all these wonder years of back and happy days are here. And, 
And yet all these things under the surface of just just ready to explode, unfortunately, negatively, and they will impact almost everybody. There will be a certain group at the top, way at the top of the pyramid, that it won't, but everybody else will be impacted. What I've been amazed at, though, is how ignored that bottom, say, 25% up to into, into 50% have been ignored in discussions. You know, uh, what are they doing right now in the state's Bidenomics? And I'm not trying to nail him for the problems. You know, he's part of that problem. But I'm just saying, as if there's nothing wrong, and we're doing the same thing in Canada, just so you know, a lot of happy talk uh, about the Canadian economy. And it's just, my goodness, you've completely ignored these people who are really struggling, like severely struggling. And this is before you know, the mortgage problem really hits someone out of, in Canada, it's a five-year mortgage. I know they're longer, you know, in the States, but five-year mortgage. So we got people who've got a year left, two years, three years left, then they're going to get hit by the mortgage payments, the increase. 40% of Americans, the lowest 40% earners now have less cash than they did before the pandemic started. Yeah. So I, if this is bionomics or whatever you want to call it, yeah. please stop it. Please stop it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me come back to the investor now. Um, that's the environment that we're facing. What do we do about it? Let, let me throw one more at you, you know, and that is the diminished purchasing power of our currencies. The uh, U.S. is better than Canada, but, you know, everybody appreciates that. We call it inflation, but I think it's more diminished purchasing power if you look over time. But Okay, so what do we do? What do individuals do? It's not an easy environment here. Well, they don't want to do what I still in my planning group advise them to do, and that is less is more. We, we, we've gotten used to believing more money equals more happiness, more things equal better lifestyle, when nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, we, we, we took away one of the reasons we have this retirement crisis is it's not just for people who were just getting by, but people who were, that were making very decent money took away from their future to enjoy a life, a better lifestyle at the moment. And because of that, now they face, they recognize this issue they have. And the other big issue that doesn't get counted in that is not only that we're living longer, but because we're living longer, and you and I can attest to this, you just can't do some of the things at 67 and 77 that you did at 37 and 47. And the medical costs in order to sustain your life basically is higher than it is at a younger age. So all the, all the things that can go wrong have gone wrong on an economic, social, and political level. And there's this I call it the don't worry, be happy crowd that just basically controls Wall Street and most of the mainstream financial networks. They don't want to discuss these things. And, and I can understand why. I think if people ever had a really serious look and was explained to how bad they were, they'd be a lot more upset than they currently are. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the ignorance is keeping them in power. And there's so many subjects I talk about on a weekly basis on, on that regard. Let me come to a few things, though. And Okay, so let's talk. I want to talk because you've got a long experience with precious metals, a long experience with gold. Um, you know, you've talked about it as just a store of value, like put it in a shoebox and, you know, come back later. What do you feel about it now? Well, you're right. I've always said uh, it's an investment that in many cases you hope doesn't go up. And people say, well, why do you want me to buy something like that? I say, because chances are what you own a lot of went down if gold went up a lot. And so it was always a good insurance policy, but there's also opportunity for capital appreciation in it. I think the bigger news 
uh, perhaps the biggest news since you and I last had a chance to talk. I I think it's going to be a multi-decade biggest story ever, could even rival when it's all said and done the Industrial Revolution. And that is the formation of BRICS or, and or other organizations of countries forming to trade and do other things, either li- eliminating the U.S. out of it or limiting the United States involvement in it something that the United States is not prepared for in any way, shape, or form. People are not taking it serious. Uh, It it is very serious. And how we knew how serious it was when the Saudis came out of left field, not really because after Biden's visit, they were very disturbed about us, and basically announced that not only were they keen and interested in joining the BRICS and working closer with China, but they also went and made peace with one of their worst mortal enemies, uh, which is the United States, one of its biggest enemies, Iran. So there's a lot coming out of this brick thing. It's only developing now. It may not happen all at once, and it may not be all encumbrancing as one may think at the moment, but it's going to rival and impact the United States. And to a lesser extent, it's major trading partners like Canada and Mexico. Uh, and it's it, it doesn't have net positives. There's no way that you look at it that it's positive for the United States. Well, and again, it's one of those I was talking earlier in the show about unintended consequences. And now, you know, when they froze Russian bank accounts, said you're going to be frozen out of the SWIFT system. Uh, you know, to me, that was just a, an, an invitation uh, to look for alternatives. And it was, which I think this is part of that process. I mean, there's other factors obviously involved, as you say, the political considerations. But I just think that was a, a, an example. We had the truckers convoy up here. And I think it was completely overlooked the significance of the government freezing bank accounts or telling banks to freeze accounts, you know, and freeze the GoFundMe pages. I mean, it's that kind of thing that invites uh, people or countries in this case looking for alternatives, people looking for alternatives to save, you know, to protect themselves out of the banking system. But yeah, I, I just think this, yeah, I think we're in a process right now. I mean, it's a huge issue and a huge, uh, you know, complicated in terms of uh, extent. Uh, but yeah, I think we're in, we're in a very interesting monetary process. And Michael, the reasons for them to want to introduce digital currencies is for more control. Yeah. And more oversight and influencing what we can or can't do. And if they tell you anything else, that's malarkey. Like Let me just give them, uh, give them a quick example that a lot of times I'll talk about some of these things and people say, I think they just don't think it's possible. And I'm going, did you ever hear of this thing called the Euro? There used to be Deutschmarks. There used to be French francs, Italian lira and presto. There weren't any and it was called the Euro. But here's the key. People did never got a chance to vote on it. That was not something that they was an election platform. It just all of a sudden was there. So I'm just saying, when you talk about monetary systems, it can change very quickly and don't think that you're going to have a say in it. And I think digital is in that category. I agree with you fully. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple of other things. Um, but one of the things I give you credit for, because you were at the World Outlook Conference with us, we're going back now, you know, two and a half years and you were one of the first people to ring the bell on uranium and saying, look, I, the nuclear renaissance is here. You know, I know it's going to have bumps and bruises, but it's here and we don't have the uranium. Ergo, on a long term basis, you like uranium. I, I just want an update from you. Yeah, nothing's really changed, Mike. The, the, the good news is, is that market uh, has made a 180. 
Uh, I like to still joke that 10 or 15 years ago, if you went to the United States Center and mentioned a nuclear plant, he'd say, not in my backyard. Now the first thing he says is, please build one yeah. as fast as you can. Uh, there's no question about it that if the world is moving towards more electrification, it clearly wants to have more electrification. Uh, the wind and solar is just not going to cut it. And uh, nuclear is going to be one of the big major players in that. And the perception of it has changed 180 degrees. That's all that needed to have happen. Uh, the supply and demand scenarios a phenomenal supply and demand scenario in terms of so much more demand than known supply. And where known supply is, not the best places in the world that are the best, best friends to the United States, not taking away what Canada can provide. And thankfully, we're still good friends. I think the people are at least. So the argument has only gotten better. It's probably not even the third inning yet of a nine inning game. Uh, yeah, it has swings. The one negative, if you want to call it that is, unlike any other metal we could pick, where there could be hundreds, if not thousands of companies looking, developing it and all, that's not the case when it comes to uranium. There's a handful of known producers, certainly even less of those, few of those that are actually public that you can buy as a stock. And then the rest are all speculations. Companies that are hoping to find it may have found something and trying to develop it and all, but it's a difficult market to get wide representation in. That's why I said, and I, I still say it, so goes Cameco, so goes the uranium market. It'd be, I, I was hard pressed when it was under 10 to say, if you believe in uranium, how do you, how does you, how do they not partake in such a move? I think they've only fortified their positions better to be more advantageous to it, and uh, I, I just think that market is going to go. And I, the two safest way to play it is is to play the few companies that are out there now that buy physical uranium or a chemical. The rest is speculation. I mean, there's good speculations. But be careful of this. I lost enough money in junior markets in a variety of ways to know this after 40 years. There's a saying that goes, oh, it will rise all boats. Not necessarily. Uranium can go up a lot. Doesn't mean every single uranium stock is going to go up with it. People are more selective now. It's, 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 it's more challenging to be a junior resource company. That's a topic if you ever want to get into. But don't fall that just simply because it has uranium name in it or they're looking for it that it's just going to go up a lot when uranium keeps moving higher. Let me finish with a couple of things here. One is uh, just a quick take, and I know it's manipulated, obviously, but the, the bond market, the interest rates, I meant the interest rate related central bank decisions. And, you know, for a portfolio today, uh, are you comfortable with short term, long term? None, none at all. I, 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 I myself put a large sum of money at when, one year paper hit 5%, you know, the best the stock market, I think will be a high single digit return if possible. And so with all the things that were happening and, and also because I, I have large exposure to metals, I, I just thought 5% sure thing was a better bet than speculating on whether or not this stock market rally can continue. I'm hoping the market rally continues only for one reason, Mike. People found out a year ago they had far too much exposure to equity. And how you know that is when you can't mentally sleep because of your portfolio, your portfolio is wrong. I don't care what people are predicting. You're supposed to be able to sleep at night with what you own. So I've been hoping that rallies like this and people that saw themselves overly exposed don't try to get reinvested in it. But 
shake out things and become more conservative in it. Now, you, you were the one who just mentioned metals. Let's talk a little bit about that to finish off. And that is, uh, you know, uh, first of all, are we talking copper? Are we talking, you know, gold, silver, that kind of thing, or other metals? Uh, obviously, in a down period after a big run, uh, what are you looking for there? Well, the junior market is the most cheapest it's been relative to metal prices. I said up until a week or two ago, and we finally started to see a rise, that this is the biggest spread between the valuations we were given to juniors and what metals could be sold for if they found it at this particular mm -hmm. price. I said either one or two things. It's either the greatest buying opportunity in my 40 years or somebody rung a bell and I didn't hear it and they closed the door and I'm on the wrong side of the door. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping it's the former. I think in recent days, it's starting to look more and more that it's the former. And there, gold, silver, and copper. You know, for the first time, uh, I've had some people that followed me for a long time said, I'm even surprised to hear that from you, Peter. I rank silver now equally with gold, which was always a second choice in my book. And the reason is it's, it's physical argument and its industrial need has made it far more important than it once was. So uh, it would not surprise me that silver performs as well or even outperforms gold. Copper is a much better story, even longer term. Short term, you may have to give up a little because we're, it's still on this thought of it's just a recession play. But the physical demand for copper, if you're going to buy the electrification story, you have to buy the copper story. One can't go without the other. Great stuff as always, Peter. Look, it's nice and wonderful to get a chance to chat with you again. And I am going to put you on the spot and say we're going to do it again in the near future. Oh, I hope so, Michael. And, and please let me finish by saying this. And, and whoever's in charge, don't cut this part out. People need to know what a class man you are. From the first day I met you to now, you have your most interests in your audience. It's never self-serving. There's never any ego. So when I heard that you wanted to talk to me again, believe me, you're the first person I would run back to speak to and all the people I've ever met in 40 years in this business. Well, that's very kind. And I want to direct people to petergrandich.com, petergrandich.com, because you can go at Peter Grandich for Twitter, and follow. You can go there and go to his blog. So all of that's available there at, or, or sorry, petergrandich.com. We'll put the details on the website too. Peter, thank you. Thank you and God bless. And say hello, please, to Grant and Nina for me.